Well, good morning. So good to see you guys today. It's going to be a great day of worship. Has been a great day of worship and will continue as we continue in our series on the Beatitudes. When the United States um, first entered World War I, the president of Columbia University, which as you probably know is in New York City, sent out a questionnaire to all of his uh, faculty and staff with the question, what do you propose to do to support the war effort? Now, that, that may seem somewhat peculiar, but in that day and age, Americans understood that when we go to war, we all literally go to war. And so everyone, not just soldiers, understood that to end the war and bring peace, we all had a part to play in making peace. So one member of the faculty, who happened to be a pacifist, responded with a four-word answer. He said, remember the question was, what, are we, what should we do? His response was, mind my own business. That is the mindset of a pacifist. If I stay out of it, indeed if we all chose to stay out of it, then we would not only avoid the conflict, but we would establish peace. But is that true? Can that possibly be true? Does avoiding conflict make peace? The answer is, in my opinion, obviously not. The truth is, avoiding the conflict actually denies peace. Making peace requires the resolution of conflict, not its avoidance. So anyone who's ever served the role of a peacemaker will tell you that the primary business of making peace is dealing with conflict. It requires denying that personal preference to avoid conflict and choosing to get involved. Now, what, what the world needs, I think we know, what we need in our political system, what we all need is peace. And since peace doesn't just happen... Since peace is something that needs to be made, what we really need are peacemakers. Those folks who are committed to jumping into the fray and doing whatever it takes to resolve conflict. Now, one of the reasons this is so hard is because most of us would much rather avoid conflict then resolve it. The, the work is extremely difficult and, and it comes with a heavy price. And so therefore, peacemakers are rare. The fact is that most people who recognize their need for peace and are involved in conflict, they would settle, instead of for peace, they would settle for the fool's gold of appeasement. Now what's the difference between peace and appeasement? Well, let me talk about appeasement. Appeasement doesn't get to the root of the issue. Okay? It, it doesn't actually solve the conflict. What appeasement does, it may break the tension. It may stop the fight. But it doesn't address the conflict. Appeasement may bring about a ceasefire. But no one is putting their weapons down. 
The shooting may have stopped, but the enmity and the strife are still present with appeasement. We, we make deals when we appease, but we do not make peace. But here's the truth. Peace is what is needed. Matter of fact, peace is what God wanted. God is the God of peace. Peacemaking was the primary mission, a primary focus for which he sent Jesus. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, came to make peace. And it's not just a mission that was one and done with Jesus. It's actually a mission that Jesus said we are to embrace. And fact of the matter is, he said there are rewards for us when we engage in the business of peacemaking. Now the seventh beatitude which we're going to look at, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5 verse 9. You can read it with me. Blessed are the peacemakers. All right, let's try again, everybody. You ready? All right, you ready? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, let's think about peace from a broad-based perspective. Peace is something that you can have. Right? There are peaceful people. There are, there are folks that are at ease in the midst of a storm, in the midst of difficult circumstances. And, and that's really a good thing. Peace is also something that we can keep once it's established. Thankfully, there are people who live with, on a mission of peacekeeping. There are peacekeepers, so it's something we can have. It's something we can keep. But in this beatitude, Jesus does not say blessed are the peaceful, although they are blessed. Jesus does not say blessed are the peacekeepers. The focus is not on the disposition or the maintenance of peace. Jesus' focus in this passage of scripture is on the making of peace. He holds out blessing for those who choose to live a lifestyle of peacemaking. So, how do we do it? What's required to make peace? We, we know that we gravitate toward appeasement because it's less stressful. We can avoid the conflict. We struggle with Making peace because the price is so high. Yet, we know that God calls us to be peacemakers. So the first step in making peace is to understand the cause of conflict. Okay, the first step in making peace is to be able to identify the cause of the conflict. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about... Uh, identifying the cause of conflict like it all started when he didn't like my post okay or it all started when their kid was mean to my kid or when he chose not to speak to me in public that's not the kind of identifying the cause of peace of conflict that I'm talking about I'm actually talking about the root cause of conflict when you dig down and find out what, why is it that we find ourselves in so much conflict what's the issue 
Now, thankfully for us, James identifies the root cause of conflict in James chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along today, we're going to be in the book of James, and then we're going to flip over back to the book of Romans. But uh, James, if, if you're new to turning in your Bible, it's in the back. So go to Revelation and flip a few books toward the front, and you'll find the book of James. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. James is answering the question, what causes conflict? What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have. So you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasure. I love the fact that James chose to agree with the Rolling Stones when he said the cause of conflict is you can't always get what you want, right? Maybe they agreed with him. Our response to the disappointments of not getting what we want, of not having our expectations met, our response to that disappointment is lashing out against the people that come between us and what we want. James says at best, at best, that disappointment leads to quarrels and fights, and at worst, it leads to murder. But at the heart of the problem is the way we identify our needs. Okay, remember, it's you can't always get what you want. How do I know what I want? Well, I selfishly figure it out. The way I identify my needs is through selfishness. We we figure out what we want, and then we elevate it to the most important thing in our lives. I have to have it. We, we, we figure out what we think is going to make us happy. We figure out what we think will fix our brokenness and make us whole. And then we proceed to step on, step over, or step around the people that stand in our way. And so our pursuit of what we think we need or what we want, causes the quarrels and fights that we experience. If someone dares come between us and happiness or fulfillment or wholeness, then they're going to pay for it. Because we're only thinking about life from what we want. It is the selfish perspective. James says the bottom line is that conflict ultimately arises when we are living for ourselves without regard for others. We don't really care how what we want or need affects other people. We only care about how their actions impact our ability to get what we want. And so if they interfere with my pursuit of happiness, or interfere with establishing my significance, if their success makes me look bad, then they're going to pay for it. 
that causes quarrels and fights. The bottom line is that conflict inevitably arises when we are living for ourselves without regard for others. The root cause of conflict, the conflict that destroys peace, is serving our own broken self-interest. Even even using God to get what he, we want. Remember, he, he intimates in that passage of Scripture, you should ask God. Then he says, oh, but when you ask God, you don't get what you want because you, you, you're what you ask for because you want to use it for your own selfish gain. So we have to understand the root cause of conflict is self-absorption. It's stopping at nothing to get what we want to make ourselves happy. The second step to making peace is that we need to incorporate the core values of the peacemaker, which, by the way, always puts others first. The core value of the peacemaker always puts others first. When, when we care more about the happiness, well-being, and peace of others, then, then we do our own peace, then we're beginning to cultivate that mindset of a peacemaker. There's a great passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 12 that, that I want to look at. It really spells out the mindset of a peacemaker. As a matter of fact, I think if you Googled uh, what are the core values of a peacemaker, it would be this passage of Scripture that would pop up. It's Romans chapter 12, Beginning in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Really? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, which divides, but overcome evil with good. Now, this passage of Scripture spells out selfless peacemaking. When I'm persecuted, it doesn't trigger in me cursing, cursing the persecutor, 
but blessing. If other people are rejoicing, especially those people I struggle to like, if they're rejoicing, I'm not going to respond with jealousy, but with joy. I'm going to choose to be happy for their good fortune and understand it doesn't detract from mine. When others mourn, even if they are my enemy, I'm going to mourn with them. I'm going to resist the urge to repay evil for evil and do the right thing, God's right thing, for my tormentor. I'm going to resist revenge and let vengeance be the Lord's. When someone's hungry, I'm going to give them something to eat. When someone's thirsty, I'm going to give them something to drink. Most importantly, I'm actually going to do everything in my power to deny my inclination toward evil, hatred, and division. And I'm going to overcome that urge with good. Not easy. I, I, I venture to say that we could all, right now, identify someone that doesn't deserve that kind of mercy from us. Someone that we cannot and will not pull for. But the call is to be a peacemaker. To step into that conflict and bring blessing rather than curses. Now, did, did you guys notice what happens when we embrace this, this, those core values of peacemaking? When, when we serve others according to those values of peace? It's really odd when you first read it because it sounds like we're, we're punishing them for causing us harm. The, the outcome is in Romans chapter 12, verse 20. Did you catch it? It says, in doing this, in doing what? Making peace, you will heap burning coals on his head. In other words, you're going to heap burning coals on top of the head of the person that's giving you problems. I don't know about you, but that sounds vindictive to me. Does it you? I mean, it sounds like if I wake up going, I am looking for someone to heap burning coals on top of their head. They're going to pay for what they've done. So why would this be the outcome of peacemaking? Well, according to Dr. David Jeremiah, the idea goes back to a, a practice in Egyptian culture when a person committed some sort of misdeed that ended up in introducing division in the community, when a person created conflict, if they ended up feeling bad and wanted to make amends, if they wanted to express their contrition and bring restore peace to the community, then they would literally heap, put a pan of hot coals on their head. Literally, heap burning coals on their head and walk around town as a way of showing the burning shame that was in their heart because of the division they created. 
So what Paul is saying here is that if you want to make peace, if your intent is to make peace by serving others, those, those people who are causing strife or division, then you, you're actually graciously leading them to the place where they recognize what they've done to the community. And with humility, they're willing to put burning coals on top of their head. And, and that is not an act of vengeance or punishment. It is a gracious gift of contrition. It brings someone to the point where they're doing their part to reconcile. Now, I, I know we do it without thinking, but it, it doesn't really make sense for us to respond to people that are hurting us or causing us prob- no end of problems to turn on them and stir up more division. It doesn't help anyone. Maybe we settle for appeasement. But it makes much more sense if the person that's hurting us or causing division in our community, in our family, it makes much more sense if we do our part to make peace so they recognize the damage they're causing and then allow God to lead them to the place where they desire reconciliation. We're, we're not manipulating. What we're doing is demonstrating the love and mercy of God by serving them, even in the midst of conflict and strife, by serving them in a way that makes peace. That requires... No question about it. Death to self. You can't, we can't, I can't just be about me and protecting my turf and my stuff and getting what I want and pursuing my happiness and at the same time serve the greater good by making peace. When we Take the necessary steps to graciously serve others. We're making peace. We're breaking down the dividing wall of hostility. And we're doing our part to bring about God's kingdom on earth just as it is in heaven. The third step to becoming a peacemaker is to live in celebration of the peace that we have with God. You know what I've found about people that focus on are anxious to make peace? It's people that have peace. And that peace, the peace that passes all understanding, comes from God. Who paid a tremendous price to establish it. Colossians chapter 1 verse 19 
says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. In other words, Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. All of God's goodness dwelled in Christ. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace. Who's making peace? Jesus is making peace. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, I don't want this to sound irreverent, but this is simple. Jesus was God with skin on. Okay, he was God in the flesh. And he was the perfect embodiment of the characteristics of God. And his mission showed us the desires of God. What is God most interested in happening on earth just as it's happening in heaven? And so Jesus came to teach us what peace is and to establish peace. He came to make peace. Now, why would Jesus need to make peace? Because the reality is we're in conflict with God. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. And we're in conflict with God because of sin. Because we desire to be our own boss. And so... God, who is gloriously righteous and pure, created us to reflect His image. And because of sin, we fall short of the glory of God. Sin ultimately breaks fellowship with God. We are what the Bible calls enmity. We experience enmity between us and God. But the Prince of Peace... The great peacemaker himself stepped out of eternity and into time to address the conflict that was created by our sin and he paid the ultimate price to make peace. That was his mission. How did he do it? He did so by taking on the punishment that we deserve for the sins we commit. When Jesus died on the cross, the Lamb of God, who was sent to take away the sin of the world, His death on the cross established for us the way to forgiveness. He literally made the path to peace. And so through His death, He established peace for us with God. The conflict that sin creates was resolved. The great peacemaker made our peace. And so, if we're going to be peacemakers, we need to live in light of what Christ did for us. We need to know and, and understand and personalize. We, we need never forget the price he paid. For us to have peace with God. 
So when Jesus was with us, he established a memorial, an opportunity for those of us who follow him to remember the peace he made and that we enjoy with God. And that process was communion, the Lord's Supper. It's a celebration of our peace with God that was made through the death of Jesus on the cross. And, and you know, people say, oh, that, that's so gruesome. I, I can't believe, I, I, I just can't believe folks would think that that kind of price had to be paid for peace. But the scripture says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness for sin. The Old Testament, the system of sacrifice was set up so that people would understand the, the gravity of our sin. That we would understand just how desperately we are separated from God. The chasm between us and God that's created by our sin. And if we are going to be at peace with God and not receive the punishment our sins deserve, then here's the truth. Somebody had to pay for it. The wrath of God had to be poured out on sin. And Jesus Christ who came to make our peace with God said, I'll take it. I'll embrace the difficulty of the cross. I'll accept the punishment for sins I didn't commit. And I'll make peace. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then this celebration of communion is for you. You recognize that it's by God's grace and through your faith that you have peace with God. Then this is for you. Or if you're here today and maybe for the first time you're starting to realize, oh, I, I want peace with God. Then this celebration is for you as well. It's a way of accepting the offering of peace. That Jesus made. Now understand. Communion is not for the perfect. Okay. We, 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 don't, we don't take the bread. And the juice as a symbol of God's blood. Because we're perfect. And we've got it going on. Quite the contrary. We celebrate. Christ's offering of peace. Because we're broken. Because we need exactly what the peacemaker delivered. And so today, we're going to figuratively come to the altar in celebration of the sacrifice that Jesus offered for you and for me. That brings us peace. Will you pray with me?
Father, we are so grateful for the work of Jesus who embraced the difficult assignment of making peace. We're thankful for the fact that he willingly offered his body to be broken and his blood to be shed so that our sins could be forgiven and we could know peace. Lord, as we celebrate that sacrifice today, I pray that remembering the price paid would keep the fires of peacemaking, the desire for peacemaking burning in our hearts. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.
in which the passion of the Christ unfolded in all of its horror, Jesus sat down with the disciples and infused the seemingly senseless brutality of the cross with meaning, pointing to the hope of peacemaking. It was through the sacrifice of his body and the shedding of his blood that the cosmic conflict between the created and our creator would end. The Lord Jesus, the scripture says, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Our Father, we are grateful for your willingness to have your body broken for our peace. The scripture says, in the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the new covenant in blood, in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat the bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we're thankful for the love, for the sacrifice, and for the peace you made. May we honor the peace you made by making peace so your kingdom will come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Go ahead and stand and join us in worship. Bye. 
we need to address and that is what's the reward for peacemaking remember the beatitudes jesus said blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of god what what, what exactly does that mean do you ever hear people say well they, that child is just like his father or mother Sometimes we say it because they look like the parent. But most of the time, it comes up when a child is reflecting the mannerisms or the behavior of the parent. And so we say, well, she's just like her. He's just like him. Or if we're talking to the parent, we say, she's definitely your child. It's no accident that Jesus says that peacemakers will be called children of God. Because when someone pays the price to make peace, they're doing exactly what God would do. They're, they're taking on the very character of their Creator. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, two questions. First, are you a child of God? The fact of the matter is, 
the scripture says that we become children of God when we place our faith in the one who paid the debt for our sin. It was a, it was a work of grace that we received by faith. Are you a child of God? Have you placed your faith in Jesus, the peacemaker who came to make peace with God? The second question is, do you need to embrace the role of peacemaker? Are you living in divisive, poisonous, cancerous conflict. Here's what we know the scripture teaches. That is incompatible with the relationship with God. He who served us to make peace invites us to embrace the privilege of making peace with others. And so I want you to bow your heads. And I just want you to consider where we are. First, do you need to make peace with God? Do you, do you need to trust Jesus as your Savior? Opening your heart to Christ. Asking Him for forgiveness. Listen, there's no better day than this one to celebrate that peace, to accept it and live in its light. And secondly, do you do you need to embrace the call to peacemaking? Is there someone that you you just can't seem to serve? Is there some bitterness that is overwhelming you? Short-circuiting your relationship with God and the peace that He desires for you in community. I, I want you to ask Him, Make space in your heart for the call to peace. Father, we are so grateful for the truth of your word and the beautiful opportunity that you have given us to play a part in making peace. Father, if there are those in this room that need to come to you in faith, I, I pray that they'll trust the work of your son today and for those of us who need to cultivate a mindset of peacemaking so that we can live like the children of God we are give us the courage to step into the conflict and make peace it's in the strong name of Jesus I pray amen